Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 28th. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor with infectious disease specialist, Dr. Craig Janney. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions sent in by you, the listener. We haven't stumped him yet, and we won't this time around either. Hey, could Big Brother be watching you online? Oh, we're going to talk to a law professor from the University of Ottawa about these new changes proposed to the Broadcasting Act, and it could see censorship implemented in Canada for online video content. Yes, like your TikTok videos and your YouTube videos at home. We love the chance to catch up with Kenny James. He's a UK broadcaster and business owner. He'll be joining us once again with an update all things COVID in the UK including maybe easing travel restrictions for Americans and just what the restrictions look like right now. You know his music, and you know now, well, because we're going to tell you, he's being recognized by the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. He is a wild party. We're chatting with (laughs) rock legend Kim Mitchell about the honor being bestowed on him, and now he's been spending his time lately over the past year during this crazy pandemic. Since the very beginning of the pandemic, we've been very fortunate to have the time of Dr. Craig Janney. He is Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, taking your COVID-19 questions. There's been so many questions, and the questions seem to be organic because they've evolved over the past 14 months. So we're going to get right to it with these questions and answers from Dr. Janney. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. All right. Here we go. This is a great one. It comes in from Ken, Dr. Janney. Can you ask the doctor, what is the actual condition that causes the blood clot after getting a vaccine or or potentially could cause a blood clot? Yeah, so this is a a different mechanism than than what we normally consider for clots. So this is quite distinct from, for example, the clot you might get after an overseas flight. What is happening is the vaccine is actually activating our immune system, and we get an inflammation that activates little pieces of our blood called platelets that normally do our, our, our blood clotting. They are what stops a cut from bleeding. And when they get activated, they clump together and they do form a clot. And, and if that clot happens in a critical vessel, such as the brain or, or heart, we can have a, a significant disease problem. If it's just a tiny clot, it's not a big deal. But if it happens in the wrong spot, that's where we see these, these significant outcomes. To follow up on that question then, Dr. Jenny, how do we know if we've got a blood clot? What, what are symptoms we should be watching for if that is something that might happen? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a full list of symptoms if you go to the Government of Canada or to the NACI, the, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization uh, websites. But they are quite general, but, but also fairly specific. You're not going to confuse them with other things. So sharp, uh, sudden chest pain, some numbness in limbs, uh, difficulty breathing, things of that nature would suggest that there's a clot somewhere. Uh, also, little red dots along the skin might indicate oh. that it's happening. So. Okay. But there is a full list. I, I do encourage people, if you're uh, participating in the AstraZeneca shot, take a look at that list. And if you ad- identify those symptoms, talk to your doctor. We do have therapies for them. We love hearing from teachers. And here's one from a teacher by the name of Abby who takes her students outdoors quite often. She says, there hasn't been a really clear directive from Dr. Hinshaw about masks outdoors. Kids don't distance when they're outside on the playground or when they're participating in phys ed. Should we be making sure students are wearing their masks outdoors, especially when they can't or won't distance themselves? 
Yes, I, I think the, the guidance is a little bit loose on this, and that is because we know that there's problems keeping masks on while they are doing physical play. Uh, I think that the best guidance that we've seen on that is to try and keep them to the same classroom cohorts, so we don't want them going out and, and mixing with all the other classrooms because that does increase exposure risk. And if they're not doing something uh, very vigorous, if, it, for example, outside looking at trees and, and, and taking the classroom outside, there is an opportunity when distance is not maintained to, to continue to wear a mask. Okay. Uh, here's one. Is there any hard clinical or scientific data that suggests the four-month extension between vaccine shots, Moderna, Pfizer particularly, any benefits other than, you know, when you are supposed to get it or, or not? So with the Moderna and Pfizer, there's no additional benefit, but we've not seen at least more than two months out. We've not seen any uh, loss of protection in the general population. There are some uh, specific groups, that, and we are expecting uh, updated guidelines on those groups. So the really older patients or people with some immunocompromised conditions may need that booster earlier. With the AstraZeneca, though, we actually do see a benefit, and that is if that booster comes 12 weeks or even a little, little longer than 12 weeks after your first shot, that's actually far better than getting your booster at three or four weeks after your first shot. You get a much better immune response. So timing of that booster can be advantageous to stretch it out. And the bigger sign is that most of these shots, Pfizer, Moderna, give you greater than 80% protection on the first shot, and that allows us to get first shots to more people. So a lot of people with really good protection rather than a small number of people with optimal protection. Dr. Jenny, we have to take a quick commercial break. Can we keep you for two more minutes? Of course. Good stuff. More of your questions with Dr. Craig Jenny, infectious disease specialist. 819, and we are back with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor in Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. Thanks for staying with us, Dr. Janney. We've got tons more questions. Can you just stay until tomorrow? Because we're going to need it. Um, we'll start with this one. How is it that AHS knows the daily new COVID case numbers so quickly, but notifications to those who test positive take so much longer? That's a great question. So the numbers that are reported are not necessarily the test that was run that day, but the numbers that are reported to AHS that day. So they're reporting the numbers that were um, handed into AHS the day before. So that could reflect a small window in testing, but those are the new cases as reported to AHS, not necessarily when the data came off the PCR machine. All right, here's a fresh one for you, Dr. Jenny. I recently recovered from COVID two weeks ago. Do I still need a vaccination? So the recommendation is yes, and that, that has been by a number of different health agencies, including the U.S. CDC and Health Canada. We know that the natural immunity that, that comes from being infected, although it offers some degree of protection, is not as good as the immune response. It fades quicker, and what we've seen is, that it, especially with people that were infected, for example, in 2020, it does not offer good protection against the variants, whereas the vaccine does have much better coverage against the different viral variants that are currently in Canada. Here's a, a true or false question for you, Dr. Janney, uh, from the texter that says the more people that get vaccinated, the more chances for COVID to mutate to get around the vaccine. That's just science. True or false? That would be false because although there is some selective pressure to perhaps avoid what the vaccine recognizes, the total number of cases and infections go down significantly and the 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 ability for a variant to emerge is directly tied to the number of viral cases and the number of replications in the community. So if we get infection numbers down, variant uh, slow down as they emerge. 
All right, this one here, we know that we've uh, expanded the ages of uh, kids born between 2006 and 2009 with underlying health conditions. This texter, though, says, do you personally hope we start vaccinating all kids under 18, and, and, and do we need to? So I think we will have to, and that is because with other highly infectious diseases, and what we've seen with the variants is it has become significantly more infectious. So things such as measles and other um, infectious airborne diseases, we need a very high level of community vaccination in order to stop the spread. And we know kids, although they're not as at as high risk of serious illness. They do spread the virus. And we we know also in Alberta, for example, kids under 18 are more than 20% of our population. So to get to a level of herd immunity to slow this virus down, we either need essentially every adult in the province to be vaccinated or we're going to have to have some kids vaccinated to get that herd immunity up. I'm going to combine a couple of questions here for you before we let you go, but we're talking about the AstraZeneca. Uh, why has the U.S. not approved the AstraZeneca, and what makes it different in terms of potential blood clots? So that's a great question. It's unclear why the U.S. has not approved it, and part of that is because the Johnson & Johnson uh, Janssen vaccine, which is also approved here in Canada, is almost the same thing, and the question is whether that's a domestic supply versus uh, an international supply. Um, they both use this, this virally vectored uh, vaccine format, which is complicated, but basically the AstraZeneca and the Janssen are almost the same product. So they have their own, and I don't know if that's perhaps slowed it down. Why does it behave differently? Well, it is a slightly different chemistry, a different approach than the Pfizer and Moderna. Those ones are mRNA vaccines, so uh, it's a little piece of RNA, which is a temporary uh, gene that, that's rapidly digested and, and cleared by our body, but in the meantime makes viral proteins. And the, the Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca actually uses a harmless virus to deliver the same gene to us. So two different chemistries, same general strategy, but we think that that inflammation is stronger with the virus, which makes it a good vaccine, but does bring that risk of of some side effects. Dr. Jenny, you've done it once again without (laughs) taking a breath, answered a million questions, and we have 15 million more. So uh, here's your uh, booking announcement right now. We're hoping to book you again next Wednesday because it's insane, the amount of questions. Sounds great. Always happy to chat with you guys. Good stuff. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. 642, the House of Commons Heritage Committee has approved changes to the Broadcasting Act that would allow the government to regulate video content on social media sites like YouTube. Is this a good way to manage misinformation or is this a severe overreach of our freedom of speech? To talk about the move, we're joined this morning by Michael Geist, who is the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you give us a quick rundown first off of what these changes would mean should they be accepted by the House of Commons? Yeah, sure. It's a great question. And the the legislation at issue started as an attempt to get companies like Netflix to ensure that they were making contributions to Canadian content. But along the way, especially last week, it is now expanded, really exploded into regulating the user-generated content of millions of Canadians. So rather than focusing exclusively on broadcasts coming from large companies, say like Disney or Netflix, the legislation now incorporates the content from user-generated content. So essentially what it says is that anything that people post to TikTok or to YouTube or to Instagram, that content, if it's a video or audio, is treated as a program, and programs are regulated by the CRTC. 
You know, Michael, as a law professor, what are your concerns about these changes? Well, I mean, I think the starting point concern is that this this represents a, an astonishing level of uh, regulating free speech. And, you know, I think we ought to recognize that this generation uses services mm-hmm. like TikTok as just a, as their fundamental way to speak. It is, for my generation, the equivalent of a blog post or an email in a prior generation faxes or letters, and we'd never envision the CRTC regulating the content of letters or emails or blog posts, and yet somehow the government thinks it's appropriate to regulate the content of this kind of speech, of the audio and video of millions of Canadians. And it seems a colossal waste of time. Who or what will be policing something like this? Who is sifting through all of my 11-year-old's TikTok videos? Right. Well, what they're hoping is that the large platforms will sift through that, and so that's how the regulation would take place. They're not suggesting that the individuals themselves will be regulated in a way that would require them to come down to Gatineau and appear before the committee. They're not saying that they're broadcasters, but what they're saying is that their content is broadcasting, is programming that's subject to regulation, and so they can then impose whatever sorts of conditions they want. The Act gives gives the CRTC very broad latitude in sort of the term and conditions they can establish, and then they can force the platforms to impose that on all the individual Canadians. Through your eyes, when is it appropriate for the government to step in and, uh, you know, not just monitor, but, but censor? What sorts of materials should they be responsible for? Well, we've, we've identified a series of different kinds of speech that are unlawful. Uh, we think of child pornography, of course, hate speech, and there are several others. And the, and the government is planning, it says, to introduce legislation to deal with those kinds of online harms. Uh, one hopes that they will ensure that there's appropriate due process and so that we don't start taking down content that we're not comfortable with but still legal. But nevertheless, there is, is those kinds of content, and absolutely the up law applies to that. But that is not this. This has really nothing to do with that, uh, that kind of harmful speech. In fact, that's exactly what the minister said yesterday, said that there's a separate bill for those issues. This is fundamentally more about traditional broadcasting and treating millions of Canadians and their content as somehow being programming subject to regulation. Mm, I'm sure this won't be the last we discuss this. Thanks so much for your time this Michael, uh, this morning, Michael. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is Michael Geis, Law Professor and Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. Great text from Mike. Mike says, what a great idea. Have the federal government decide what its citizens post on media. Sounds like it's pouring on the muddy side of the slippery slope. Oh, wonder what other types of governments do this. Hmm. Oh, yeah. North Korea and China. That's from Mike. 609, it's mornings with Sue and Andy. And an easing of restrictions ahead this summer for Americans traveling to the U.K., to current restrictions in place in the region. We're heading across the pond right now for a look at the state of COVID-19. For an update, we are joined by Kenny James, a UK broadcaster and business owner. Good morning to you once again, Kenny. Morning, Andrew. Love the opportunity to speak with you. It's, it's, it's been a few weeks, and I know things change quickly. So I want to start, we're going to get the, the, the current situation in a second, but uh, the big news earlier this week was uh, that Americans if they have proof of vaccination, will be allowed to travel to the U.K. What was reaction uh, hearing that news? Well, it's always good news, of course, because we, uh, we, we welcome the Americans here and, and all foreign tourists, and it brings a lot of money uh, into the U.K. Uh, there's still 40 countries now that are on the red list in the U.K. India was added this week. But, uh, yeah, we're welcoming anyone back into the U.K., and we'll do it gradually as the year goes on. 
Kenny, another bit of news out of the U.S., and I'm curious how that relates to the U.K. right now. The uh, U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention eased their guidelines a bit for Americans, saying, you know, they don't, if you're fully vaccinated, Americans don't have to cover their faces, don't have to wear a mask anymore outside unless they're in a big crowd of strangers. What's it like over there in terms of masking right now? Well, it's, it's a bit mixed, really. Most people outside, and we've been allowed to sort of congregate together outside a bit more in the past few weeks since uh, stage two over here. Um, a lot of people don't mind not wearing a mask. Everyone's still sensitive, of course, to getting close to people. We still have these bubbles over here, about six people with family and, uh, and close-knit friends that can go out together. Many people glad not to have to wear a mask, but when you're going shopping indoors, we still have to wear masks here. But outdoors, a lot of people on the high street you see walking along are still masking up. Kenny, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, the bubbles and some restrictions, obviously, that are, are still, you know, with the masks indoors. But I'm wondering if you can give us an update on the impact and current state of business. And as a business owner, something you should know a lot about. Well, we, we, we've already had some restrictions here, Andrew, as you mentioned. So uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, in fact, a week last Monday, we were allowed to open pubs, bars, restaurants outside. So people can now go out and eat and drink outdoors only, not allowed to go indoors. Non-essential stores reopen, so hairdressers, nail bars, boutiques, flower shops, that kind of thing are reopened now, but you must wear a mask indoors. Uh, business has been okay, whether we were very lucky in terms of the hospitality side of business. We had a couple of weeks of really nice sunshine in the past couple of weeks, and that's helped. And trade is okay on the, on the high street. People are looking to get back out again. I said being sensible, wearing masks, but uh, shops say they're doing okay. And is the, so is it a sense of, you know, now we're starting to get the, the vaccines in our arms in the UK and, and people are feeling a little more relieved and willing to sort of go out still safely for the most part, though? I think so, yeah. Uh, it's a situation where uh, about 40 million people in the UK now, Sue, have had one jab and over 6 million people have had both their doses now. So people are feeling a bit more comfortable, a bit more, still a lot of common sense around, people still keeping space, not trying to get too close to one another when they're out on the high street and shopping. But there is more confidence, the more vaccines that go out there, and the more the, the whole PR machine lets people know that you can now go out safely and sensibly. People are feeling more confident about doing that. Historically, the UK and uh, Britain in particular has had a, a real tight relationship with India. Now with what's going on, the situation in India with the, a record number of, of new cases, and we're hearing that the deaths are uh, you know, just absolutely appalling. Uh, what, what are you hearing as far as aid going from the UK uh, to India? There's been some issues about aid over here under in, in recent weeks. The government announced that they were trimming the aid budget from the UK to help pay for vaccines and to get things right in the UK itself. Uh, India, of course, as you mentioned, terrible news. It's been added to the red list over here now, which means uh, that if you're a non-UK resident, there's no travel to or from India. And they've, uh, there's 40 countries on that list in the UK. And we're seeing the news much like you every day. Um, and there's more and more conversation over here about having to, to increase the aid that's going to go to India in the coming weeks. But no decision has been made on that yet. Well, Kenny, you know, are you hearing from, you know, your listeners and, and just people that you meet in business, et cetera, that there's just a, a bit of a relief feeling now and that kind of the end is in sight with these vaccines coming? Are, are people feeling that? And do you, do you kind of get that sense when you're out and about? I think so, yes. Sir. And each each day now we're hearing things. Spain, for argument's sake, this morning have announced that they're opening their borders to UK tourists from June this year. So little bits of good news each day, making people feel a bit lighter. People thinking now maybe about not just 
having what we call a staycation, which is staying in the UK, but also planning maybe to take a holiday abroad this year. So it's lightening people's feelings a bit, feeling a bit brighter about the months ahead. I know nobody, yeah, months ahead, something you're referencing there, Kenny. Uh, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but here in Calgary, we're looking ahead to maybe summer festivals and maybe some version of the Calgary Stampede. Is is that something that is uh, on the radar and in discussion? Is the summer events and festivals in the UK? Yeah, small festivals, Andrew, are being advertised and marketed now. The big, the Blastonbury, which is one of our biggest international music festivals every year this year, has been postponed again uh, last year and this year, but smaller local music festivals and arts festivals being on. And, and, and we're welcoming, looking forward ourselves, of course, to welcoming tourists back, particularly our Canadian friends, because they spend a lot of money with us and, and spend something like 8 million room nights a year in the UK. So we're looking forward to, to opening our doors and welcoming people back to see us as well. No doubt. I can't wait till the day we can come over and visit you, Kenny. We're staying at your house. You're going to feed Absolutely. us and, you know, take us to the pubs Soon. and show us around. <laughs> Sue, Andrew, your room's already made. <laughs> I love it. Hey, can I ask you a quick question sort of off the COVID topic that um, European lawmakers finally approving that final ratification of the post-Brexit trade deal between the EU and the UK <laughs> five years after Britain decided to leave. Is is that something that's uh, you sort of, you know, kind of been left behind all, with COVID or, or are you starting to talk about that over there again? Uh, yeah, we're trying to talk about things other than COVID mm-hmm. soon, uh, to try and brighten ourselves up, really. Uh, and Brexit, in many ways, has been forgotten in recent months because of what's been happening. So we can concentrate now on some of those things and some of the, uh, the problems it's been causing for imports, exports and stuff. Uh, and that's something for us to get focused back on, I think, as COVID starts to ease. Again, thank you so much for your time this morning, Kenny, because you always are a wealth of information. Appreciate the update, and it uh, really does underscore when we're talking to you basically on almost the other side of the globe, that we're all in this together. Uh, Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon at your house. (laughs) Kenny James, UK (laughs) broadcaster and a business owner. the music of our next guest. He's been a staple in the Canadian rock music scene since the early 70s as frontman for Max Webster, followed by, of course, his incredibly successful solo career. And now Kim Mitchell is finally being honoured by the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. To talk about his hall induction and his storied music career, we're joined by the one and only Kim Mitchell. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hey, Sue. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to chat with you. You really have had just an unbelievable career, and it continues. What have you been up to, first of all, for the past year during this crazy uh, pandemic? What does Kim Mitchell do during a pandemic? Well, busy day today. I got to go grocery shopping. (laughs) I just walked the dog. I I picked up his poo. Um, You know, it doesn't matter who you are, who you think you are. You know, first 15 minutes of a dog walk, you're picking up poo. That's um, Kind of brings you back to earth, doesn't it? Then after that, I'm going to change some guitar strings and maybe jam out a bit (laughs) and, you know, make lunch. Then another dog walk and then maybe a nap. Um, There's no gig. So it's funny to hear you say my career continues. I was like... (laughs) It does? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Where? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. Kim, yeah. you've pulled back the curtain now. I just thought you'd just, you know, be working on riffs and eating bonbons, but apparently <laughs> you're just like us during this time. Um, I want to ask you about this, because with, with such a storied career, with, with so many decades behind you, and, and this honor, uh, well, A, what your thoughts are on being honored for, for songwriting, but the other part of it is, uh, what makes a good song in your mind? Oh, that's a fantastic question, Andrew. Um 
it, a song just has to connect with your audience. Now, get back to the songwriting process and what you're after when you write a good song. I'm just a believer that an artist should get his song and his music to where he loves it, mm-hmm. and he or she loves it. That's all you can do. That's all we are. There's only 12 notes to work with, so get a song to where you love it, and hopefully it'll find an audience. And and getting into you know the the, the Hall of Fame when it comes to being a songwriter, what, what does that mean to you? Is is the, the writing part of it a big deal for you? Yeah, the writing part has always been a big deal for me. Um, writing songs and playing guitar has been my love. Uh, uh, and of uh, my career. Singing, not so much. Even though I won Vocalist of the Year one year, I've just, uh, I've always, singing has always been a challenge, but uh, it seems that I'm the only one that can emote the song that, 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 that I write. So, mm-hmm. and you know, it is a huge honor. The Canadian Songwriting Hall of Fame, like when you're in there with, you know, Leonard Cohen and Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and uh, all these people, like I, the first thing that comes to mind is, Hey, if we ever had a group shot, would they be surprised that a guy walked in? <laughs> it's like, oh, we thought Kim Mitchell was going to be a female country <laughs> artist or something. <laughs> oh, man. Alyssa, you know, from you know, your career in the early 70s, from vinyl, cassette, CDs, digital, and streaming, the music industry has certainly changed and evolved in this amount of time. And, and there was even rumors that rock and roll was dead. So I'm wondering, what is your thought, uh, the current state of rock and roll, and just the current state of, of being a, a musical artist in Canada in 2021? Well, well, rock had its its day. It had its moment. I, I think rock is sort of in the back seat. Pop is, is in the forefront. Hip-hop. But you... Myself as a musician, I welcome all that change. People are like, ooh, what do you think of rap sticks? I think it's beautiful. Every generation that has has been... And every generation that is now and moving forward, they'll say what they want to say in their own language and their own speak and, and with their own instruments and they approach stuff. I think that's a beautiful thing. So I, I love watching music evolve. So I think it's really strong still. I think creativity is not regional. You can be from Vegerville. You can be from Calgary. You can be from, from Red Deer and write a song that's going to resonate with just millions of people around the world before we let you go kim do you ever fiddle around with other genres then you know whether it be rap or country or something like that is if if kim mitchell could to could go to another genre of music from rock and roll what would it be well i did write a song a country song easy to tame so um i'd love to do something with some pop artist sometime too you know i don't think there's enough collaboration cross sort of i call it cross pollination from different Mm -hmm. genres rock to like I'd, I'd love to do a song with, not for the money or the fame, but some. I think Justin Bieber's like seriously talented. I love his writing yeah. skills and everything. So, you know, something like that would be cool. That's that's Canadian yeah. iconic right there. If if we teamed you two up together, absolutely. Well, we want to uh, <laughs> salute you right now, inductee into Thank the you. Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Everything that Kim's up to, including his, uh, you know, a pet waste removal <laughs> side business at kimmitchell.ca. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That is a Canadian rock icon, Kim Mitchell.